So there was a group of soldiers, and they were preparing for war. It was in the middle of war, and they were preparing for their shift, that could, they could be called at any time. They were out in the open. It was freezing cold. They were starving. They knew at any moment the general would say, get up, go, charge to the other side. And who knows what the result would be. So they decided to strengthen themselves, to nourish themselves. They're going to put on a nice kishmaka soup. They had some onions, some potatoes, some spices, whatever they had. Put on a nice pot, boiled it up. It was freezing cold. They saw it getting more cooked and more cooked, getting cocked. They were looking forward to have this delicious soup. They're waiting around the fire, trying to warm themselves up. All of a sudden, they hear the army. They hear the other side is coming. The general says, get up. We've got to run. So everybody jumps up, forget about the soup, and off they go. They charge into war, no choice, except for one soldier. There was only one soldier, a bit of a lazy guy, someone that wasn't really interested to be drafted into the army, a bit of a coward, he was scared anyway. But he had no choice, he was drafted into the army. And there he was, everybody left, the soup's there, he's starving hungry, he's freezing cold. He says, I'll go in five minutes, it's okay, they can wait. And he says, oh, let's go and get some soup first. He waits a few more minutes, he sees that it's going to get ready. He takes his canteen, he spills out the water, and he fills up some nice, delicious, hot, fresh soup. He says, I'll drink it later, as long as I have it on me, who knows if I'll get it back. And he gets on the horse, and off he goes. And he's getting closer and closer towards the enemy. Little does he realize that the canteen wasn't exactly a thermos, it wasn't a flask. It was a thin piece that held, you know, the liquid inside. And it was lying on the back of the horse. And the horse's back was getting hotter and hotter and hotter. Eventually it was burning the horse. This guy had no idea. And the horse is starting to charge. He's galloping away. The guy doesn't know what to do. He's never driven a horse, never, never really rode a horse like this before. He's holding on for dear life. He's holding on. He's petrified. Doesn't know what to do. The horse charges all the way into the army, into the enemy side. The enemy side are looking, saying, what is going on over here? We've never seen such audacity. We've never seen such strength, such courage. We're not used to this. They got scared. They turned around and they left and they won the war. And they couldn't believe it. This soldier came back. He managed to stop the horse. The canteen fell eventually. And he managed to come back. And everyone was like, wow, heroes welcome. He won the war. He was the one that did it. Because of him, he charged. His courage, unbelievable. Everybody got scared. And they won the war. The general of the army gave us, called him aside and said, do me a favor. I know who you are. You're a lazy coward. There's no way that you managed to. How did you pull that off? He said, to be honest with you, I found out only afterwards that he told him the whole story with the canteen and everything else, and the hot water that was over there, I, what exactly I did. So the general said to him, so we shouldn't really give you the medal, we should give the hot soup the medal, because that's what actually caused it. So the Magid normally brings this mice, and it says it's the same thing with us. Comes Elul, comes we hear the Shaifa, comes the Slichas, we got all excited, we all fired up, all energy to go. And sometimes it's that excitement, that energy that's keeping us going, but we have to realize there has to be an inside. There has to be something on the inside that flips, that changes, that manages to do something different than what was last year. Not just the excitement, not just the the, the whole Amos Hadin and the whole give running out, running in the in the, in, the, in the whole wake of the Slichas and the Rosh Hashanah because everyone's into it. I'm into it. Everyone's singing. I'm going to sing. About that we do that also, but to recognize and to realize that we have to actually make a change. There has to be something real about what we're doing. We say tonight, Can you imagine? We say the same thing every year. We don't come with Maisim, we don't come with Chesed, which is interesting. 
We want the same thing every single year. We want life. And we only have to look around, not too far unfortunately, to see how many of those that asked for life last year are unfortunately not here this year to also ask for life. And we're asking at this moment, we're coming with nothing. We have no deeds. Even the deeds that we did, they're lacking so much. We, we, we have no right to live, but we're begging the Rabbani Shalom to live. It's almost like, imagine if someone comes over to you and says, I want to borrow a thousand dollars. Thousand dollars, I barely have that amount to keep me going for the whole year, whatever it could be. You know, I'll give it to you, make sure you pay me back. The guy borrows a thousand dollars. He comes back on the day that it's due. He's meant to give back the thousand dollars. Not only does he not pay the thousand dollars, but he says, can I have some more please? What are you, crazy? We're doing the same thing. Last year we told the Rabban Shum, we're going to be better. It's going to be Gavaldiga year. You're going to see, we're going to change. And what are we saying this year? Also the same thing. Yeah, this year and we're going to do it. We have to realize that this is the time that we get to beg from the Rabban Shalom and he's waiting for us. The Rabbi Shalom is waiting for every single individual. The Sfasemes brings down on the Pasuk in Parashas Eker, Perik Yerala, Pasuk Yerbeis, Eine Hashem Aleikecha Bome Reishis Hashona, Vat Achris Hashona, Zug the Sfasemes, that from the beginning of the year, the Rabbi Shalom is sitting, Umetzapan is waiting, when is he coming back? And he waits until Achris Hashona, right now, the end of the year, the last few days that we have, before the end of the year, to chaperain, to do tshuva, to turn back to the Rabbi Shalom, to return to him in a sense of closeness, of understanding. There was a yid, his name was Naftali. He had very, very wealthy parents. He lived in Eretz Yisrael, surrounded by some of the Arab settlements. And as a young boy, he always left home and just took walks, and went to random places. But it was okay. Parents had all the money in the world. At the end of the day, he'd call up call up the secretary of his father and say, can you please send a car to fetch me? And every single time, the secretary said, sure, no problem, spoke to the father, the father said, yes, they sent the car and they fetched him. It was getting too much. He was 18 years old. His parents were like, come on, you're old enough already. It's dangerous to go in certain places. You can't just wander on your own. He just wasn't getting it. One time, Naftali takes a walk and he goes into one of these random places and he's tired. He ran out of water. So he calls his father's secretary so could you send the car please? Hold it a minute, puts him on hold, converses with the father, comes back to the boy, the son, and says, so sorry, your father's not sending the car. What do you mean my father's not sending the car? <laughs> he always does. He always sends the car. Tell him to send the car. No, he's not sending the car. Put down the phone. I couldn't believe it. Ten minutes later, he figures maybe they're just choking with him, something. He picks up the phone again. He says, tell my father, please. I- I'm-, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm in the middle of, I don't even know where I am. Please help me. Please send the car. The secretary calls Puts him on hold, calls the father. Your father said, just walk wherever you can go. And that's it. He couldn't believe it. He was shocked. He had no choice. So he started to take the trek back, which is about a six-hour walk back to where he came from. About three hours into it, he sees a helicopter. The helicopter lands in front of him. His father gets out, gives him a hug, and says, come inside. The medrash says of exactly the same marshal in that, in that situation. Just like that father wanted the son to just go, just walk. And he'll fetch us. The Rabbi Nishon wants us to just walk. He wants us to try. He wants us to just try to get closer to him. by just making some small move in whatever we can do to try and do that. And Slichas is the beginning. I think we say every year, the Heilige Meister from the Ribnitzah, where 
the Rebbe used to say, Dav used to davening all, diff- all different times, all different times. And one time, one of the nights of Slichas, the Rebbe was looking for a minion, it was two o'clock in the morning. Where's he going to find a minion? So he had some of his gaboyim, some of his chassidim there. But they needed one more person. So they sent one of the gaboyim out to go and find a yid, someone who hasn't said Slichas, that will join the Rebbe Tzerebbe. He'll be able to say Slichas. And they find an old yid somewhere, two o'clock in the morning in a shtibul somewhere. He said, come. If you want to say the shlichus with the ribnitzah, it's a show. What a schos to say shlichus with the heilige ribnitzah. They come into the ribnitzah shul. The ribnitzah looks around. There's ten people. He starts. But the words don't come out. So he looks around again. Then he turns back to the omid. And he starts again. The words just don't come out. So he looks around and he asks, did anybody here say shlichus yet? And everyone said, no, no, no. We, that's why we're here. We didn't say slichas yet. We waited for the Rebbe. This guy, whatever, came late. But everyone is here to say slichas for the Rebbe. We haven't yet said slichas. The Rebbe says, I'm trying one more time. Turns around to the Omid and he starts to say slichas. The words just, it doesn't, doesn't work. Until eventually he turns around and says, one second. Did anyone start saying slichas? So that man that they got from the Shtibel says, actually, I, I, I just said Ashrei. Ashrei, you know, at the beginning of slichas, you say Ashrei. So, you know, People think it's just like, you know, the starting prayers, like the introduction to the Sikhs, it's not the Eka. It says, I said Ashrei, I didn't say Sikhs yet. The Rebbe said, I can't say Sikhs. If you would know, the Rebbe sir, the difference of a person you are from before the Ashrei to after the Ashrei, it's Oim That's what we're holding. That's what we're doing over here. Rebbe Yeshua Moshe Aronson once recounted one of the saddest questions that ever came his way during the year of the Holocaust of World War II. This question that he got, he said, was the saddest question he ever received in his life. And it was actually a question from a rov. And the question went like this. The Nazis, they stormed into the rov's home. They ripped the mezuzah off the door. And nothing gave them more pleasure than getting a Jew, especially a rabbi, to disgrace Yiddishkeit in any way that they could do so. So they took the mezuzah off the door, they opened it up. They unrolled the cloth, the parchment, they grabbed the rov, they threw him to the ground, and they started to beat him in front of his wife and children. His horrified family are watching their father and husband getting beaten by the Nazis. Finally, as he lay there on the floor, they handed him the mezuzah, and they said, hey Rabbi, tear it into shreds, rip it up. The rov looked, how could I do such a thing? A yid rip up the shame Hashem, a mezuzah, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekinu, Hashem Echot. I can't do it. He refused. They started beating and beating and beating. Again, he refused. No way. I'm a yid. I don't do these things. And they kept on going and kept on going. And they demanded that he did it. He was confused. He was lying in a pool of blood. He was dazed. He had no idea where he was. He started to rip the mezuzah. To the horrified look of all of his children and his wife standing right there. They weren't satisfied with just a few rips. They demanded that he rip it to shreds. He had no more strength to fight. He couldn't do it anymore. He shredded it until there was nothing more to shred. They were finally satisfied. They laughed at him, and then they left. It took him a few moments, but after he realized what had happened, the Rav looked on the floor at the torn shreds of this mezuzah, and he looked up, and his stunned children. And then he pulled himself to a sitting position. He ripped his clothes. He tore Kriya. And he sat there as if he was sitting Shiva. On himself. 
He was completely broken. He had let the Rabbi Shalom down. He couldn't believe it. He was so despondent that he just wanted to be able to remove the title of a Rav. Which Rav destroys a mezuzah? This was the Shaila that was presented to Rabbi Shua Moshe. Now even though he was upset with himself and he blamed himself, of course the Nazis in Machshamam did not win. There was no winning streak over here because he didn't keep on fighting. And Rabbi Sai, we have to remember, we also let the Rabbi Nishalayim down. We've let the Rabbi Nishalayim down again and again and again. We look at the life, we look at the year that has just happened, a few days left to go, and we see the tragedies that have happened, the Yidden that have broken because of the things that have happened to them. But we also see how many times we've let the Rabbi Nishalayim down. How many times we've looked at things that we shouldn't, how many times we've said things that we shouldn't, how many times we've heard things that we shouldn't, done things that we shouldn't. All of these things, we know what the right thing is. We know the MS. But sometimes we just fall. And it's at this time, we can't give up. We're going to stand straight. We're going to stand strong. And we're going to say, Rabbi Nishalaylam, we're here for you. We're coming towards you. We're coming closer to you. This is it. It's over. And the Rabbi Nishalayim is waiting for us. The Rabbi Nishalayim is waiting for our return. He's waiting for our inner neshama to come out. For us to recognize the Melech Malchem Lochim. The life that we're meant to live. The emesthetic potential that every single one of us have. The koichas that the Rabbi Nishalayim gave us. Even though it's difficult. And sometimes it's hard. And we've been through so much. But Lemaisa, we can pick ourselves up. And we can do it. That's the beautiful neshama that the Rabbi Nishalayim gave us. Like a little bit bashed here. A little bit bashed there. A little bit bruised over there. A little bit crack on that side. But the neshama is so pure. It's so beautiful. It's so in the essence of the neshama. Always remains. And it's in these minutes of slichas that we say now. We just want to become closer to you. We want a life of Torah. We want a life of Yerush Shemayim. We want a life of mitzvahs and chesed, maizim, toivim, kirvas alaykim, shabbos kodesh, amunah bitoch and tefillah. We want all of these things and more. But we have to try. We've got to get up. And it's these moments of slichas that we say, Rabbi Nishalayim, we admit it. We know. We did bad. We fell. We let you down. And I'm sorry. But we're going to do much better. We're going to get up. And we're going to do tshuva. And the mitzvah Hashem, the Rabbi Nishalayim, is going to makabal our tshuva. He loves us. He's just waiting for us to return. And Be'ezus Hashem, from now, all the way until the ilah, we're going to become different people. The siyata dishmaya. The Rabbi Nishalayim should be makabal. All of our tillers. Baratzen.